Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And, uh, of course, keep Pastor Frank Jr. in prayer. And he's still in Guatemala. And he'll be returning um, tomorrow. Actually, he'll be flying back. And uh, they've had a very profitable time there. Many people uh, have responded to the gospel and the ministry. I just can't wait for him to come up and share with us, so I won't get into any details at all. And also I want to remind you that after our first service, we're going, or after church today, we're going to be having our covered dish dinner. And so we have enough for everyone. So even if you forgot to bring something, come on down and join us. I mean, what a day to share a covered dish dinner together, right? You know, look at the weather outside. It was snowing this morning. Can you believe that? You know, I was telling some people that the old-timers, me, uh, but anyway, the old-timers used to say years ago that on the day it snowed, the first day you had snow, that's how many major snowstorms you'll have. So what's today's day, 21st? Wow. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a, a wives' tale. Um, also, just a reminder, next month uh, we're going to be having our covered dish dinner on the second Sunday of the month, rather than the third, in order to honor our veterans. In fact, we have a sign-up sheet out there on the counter. And if you're a veteran, if you would just put down your name and your branch of service, and uh, so we would like to honor everyone on that Sunday uh, p.m. service. And if you have others in your family that are veterans, put their names down and bring them to church as well, that they might be encouraged. You know, it's funny... um, when I was thinking of, of the veterans, I was thinking of um, pictures I was looking at of my father. My father was born in 1905, and in 1922, he joined the Army. He joined the Calvary. And the pictures that I have him in the Calvary are actually on horses. It was a horse-ridden Calvary. And I found his dis- discharge papers, and he was discharged as a sergeant first class, which is kind of cool. And... Um, But my father only went to sixth grade, and yet he loved the Lord. In fact, he was the one that was always telling me that, look here, you've got to be saved. See that Bible underneath there? That was his. And uh, his eyesight, because he was a coal miner his whole life, and miner's asthma, silicosis, had such uh, detriment to his eyes that he had to use that big pulpit Bible in a magnifying glass in order to read it, but he read it all the time. And um, so anyway, when I'm thinking of the Army, thinking of the military, I think of him, you know, as well. You know, it's funny, uh, I don't know, just last night I was thinking about this. Probably one of the hardest obstacles that I had to overcome was my vocabulary. And I don't mean like you're thinking, oh, well, you know, blankety blank, you know. No, not, not that. Um, but, you know, my father, like I said, went to sixth grade. My mother, she graduated from eighth grade, which she was very proud of. And so, you know, we were poor, and we were coal mining people. And like, for instance, if it was time for the, for the kids to come up to bed, you might hear my father yelling downstairs, use guys, out in the light before you comes upstairs. Hannah? And, of course, comes is plural because there were a few of us coming upstairs when you comes upstairs. And Hannah was, okay, you hear that? And uh, it, you think about things like that, and, and it's funny. Um, I've never, never regretted um, coming from that kind of a, of a background. You know what I'm saying? Because I've known what it's like to be uneducated and poor, 
and I've known I've known what it's like to be educated and poor. You know, it's been it's just been great. <laughs> anyway, um, church dinner downstairs. Open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter thirteen. Exodus chapter thirteen, and we're going to be looking at verses one through sixteen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because there truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And we pray, Father, as we break open your word and look into this portion of Scripture, it would speak to our hearts, encourage our souls, and bring us to a place where we not only know that we know you, that we're saved, that we're born again, but to bring us to a place where we are content not only in our salvation, but our situation and station in life. It tells us in Acts that you have determined the time we'd be born and where we would live. Help us to be thankful for that, Lord, and serve you wherever we might be. Now, Lord, anoint and use me to minister to these, your precious people, I ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, God called us, every single one of us, uh, to be in fellowship with him continually. How? through worship and praise. That's how we're in fellowship with him. We're born again in the spirit, and that gives us relationship with God. But you can have relationship with someone and yet not not necessarily have good fellowship with them. And in order for us to have good fellowship with our spouse, with our family, with our friends, there has to be communication. There has to be a way that you talk and you communicate your heart and your feelings and so forth. And for us, our communication with Almighty God is through prayer, praise, and worship. And he inhabits, it says, the praises of his people. And so that's something important for us, you know, really to understand. And that's why so many people don't understand the fullness of praise because they're not walking the straight and narrow. Because the path to praise and worship is the straight and narrow. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? And so the thing that we have to realize is that the straight and narrow was not given to us by God in order to make life difficult or because he's cruel and he wants to see us fall. The straight and narrow was given to us for our protection. You want to know why? This world is filled with minefields. Filled with them. And you make the wrong step, And God has given us direction so that we can walk through this life. And man, I'll tell you what, he's so awesome. Because even when we do step in a mind, he absorbs the shock of it and forgives us and gives us a chance to get back on the straight and narrow and continue following him. But the whole idea of this way, in fact, they used to call it the way. Uh, When Christianity first uh, became popular and uh, it was spreading through Jerusalem and then into Antioch and throughout all of the world it wasn't called Christianity it was called the way the way of Jesus Christ now for instance too many of us quit smoking swearing we go to church every week and we think that makes us a Christian thinks we think it makes us a disciple of Jesus Christ but yet most of the week or maybe a lot of the week we live like the rest of the world And Scripture says this ought not to be so. We have to understand that our walk with the Lord has to be continuous. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. I guarantee you you will. It doesn't mean we don't fall off the path. I guarantee that you will. But the thing is, you get back up, you get in the path, and you follow Jesus. And when you are following him 
Scripture says, with all your heart, your cardia, your inner man, with all your soul, then you're going to find peace and joy in your fellowship with him. Now, the hope for us, of course, we're going to be re- uh, reading about those redeemed by the blood of a lamb. The hope for us is that we're not redeemed by a lamb, in other words, just any lamb. We are redeemed by the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so we're in Exodus chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. It's a fairly long portion, but uh, we'll cover it easily. Exodus 13, verse 1. Then the Lord uh, spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate, that means to sanctify, or to set apart unto me. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. It is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. It was God's strength of hand that brought them out. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Remember, leaven was always analogous to sin. A little leaven leavens a whole loaf. And if you put a little leaven, a little yeast in, 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 in you know, in a, whatever you call that, ball of flour and, and whatever it is, it rises. You know, it leavens the whole loaf. Um, no leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you're going out in the month of Abed. And later that became known as the month of Nisan. And uh, it's actually in March, April. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore by your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep uh, this service uh, in this month. Now, it's interesting, as he promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey. When they went into Cana, parts of it were a beautiful, fertile land. A lot of it wasn't. But why did he promise them a land flowing with milk and honey? Because he knew when they went in and occupied the land, it would become a land flowing with milk and honey. So the Lord is calling us, maybe into places we wonder, why is the Lord calling me here? Why is the Lord calling me there? But when you occupy that place the Lord is calling you to, it will become a land flowing with milk and with honey. Verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. And, of course, seven is the number of completion or perfection. We all know that. And it's interesting, too, because I've read some commentators that talk about the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread for you and I as believers. That's the day we're saved. And the completion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is when we're with the Lord. That's kind of a awesome way to look at it. Verse 8, and you shall tell your son in that day saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep Uh, this ordinance in its season from year to year, the law of the firstborn. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and give it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, 
That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey... This portion here seems pretty strange when you first read it, but it, the, the understanding of it, the meaning of it is so awesome, which we'll get to. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to the, you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as frontals between your eyes, for by strength the hand of the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Now, the firstborn that opened the womb was to be consecrated to the Lord. And I believe that this is a reminder that God spared the firstborn of the children of Israel because the blood of the lamb was on the lentil and doorpost of their house, and the angel of death passed over. And so for you and I, we are redeemed or saved by the blood of the Lamb, because his blood has been applied to our heart. And this also show God's, shows God's high value of human life. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting, because so many other false religions of that day required a person to be sacrificed. In fact, the, the Moloch, the reason it was such a horrible religion, when we get into, into First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings and Chronicles, we'll be getting into that. But Moloch was this pagan god, and it was a statue, and it had a hollow belly, which they put fire in, and then they, the arms of Moloch would become red hot, and they would put the babies on it and sacrifice their children to the Lord. All these other religions were, were, were pagan and grotesque in their attitude towards human life. But only God has this high a value in human life. That's why he wishes for all to be saved. He wishes for none to perish, but all to come to salvation. And it's an encouragement to us to know that everyone we come in contact with has value in the Lord's eyes. And that's why we need to be his ambassadors. We need to be willing and to actually share our faith Realize that a person who is not saved, who is not a believer, doesn't go to heaven. You know, we like to think we can twist that around a little bit. He who has the Son, tells us in First John, has life, eternal life. He who does not have the Son, does not have life. It's as simple and plain as that. Okay. Now, here's the sacrifice we're to make. Not of our lives, not of the lives of our children. Turn to Romans 20, uh, 12, 21. Or actually, Romans 12.1. I'd like to keep you moving in on guard. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Okay, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. Listen to this. This is your spiritual act of worship. We need to sacrifice ourselves, give ourselves to God, which is only our reasonable act of worship. Lord, I'm yours. Guess what? When I was my own, I wasn't happy. I made all kinds of crazy mistakes. I'm yours now, Lord. And this also speaks to us that God claims our very best. He doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our best. You know, isn't that what we do oftentimes? Well, I got, have you ever heard people say, well, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray. I want to go, <coughs> not really. <laughs> not just joking. Kind of. Anyway, um, the, the reality is this. The first thing you should do is pray. It's not the only thing that we have left to do is pray. That should be the first thing you do is pray. God answers prayer. Scripture is so clear about that. I don't know how many times on our little uh, prayer chain that we have in, in, in Breen Calvary Chapel that we put people on the prayer chain and have heard astonishing you know, results of, of how God has answered prayer. And he answers prayer in our life. We should, we should, the Scripture says we should pray continually. That doesn't mean you walk around 24 hours a day like this bumping into things. It means you have an attitude or a heart of prayer. Now, how many times you've been ready to do something? You go, oh, Jesus, help me. That's prayer. We need to have that kind of an attitude of prayer. Now, real freedom is not being able to do whatever we want, but real freedom is being consecrated to God. Why? Then we're free to serve him. We're free to serve righteousness. Because think about this. If freedom was to do whatever we wanted to do. Well, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. Okay, I want your house. I want your car. You know what? I want to I take your kids home. Nobody would like that because it might seem like freedom to me. I can do what I want, but it's not freedom to you. So we have to understand freedom is always within the boundaries of God's word. That's the freedom that we have in him. And this is why real freedom is from this world. Every single one of us are slaves to this world. And, and remember, sin is a horrible taskmaster. But God has released us from bondage that we might serve righteousness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and verse 36, it says, listen to this. So if the Son, in your Bible it's a capital S, talking about Jesus Christ. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. You see, we're bondservants of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the difference? A bondservant is a servant or slave by choice. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to be his bondservant. I choose to be his slave. Now, why did the Lord then command them to remember or um, commemorate this day, this sacrament, which was Passover? Well... For the same reason, he commands us to observe two sacraments, baptism and communion of the Lord's table, because it's a reminder that we've been brought out of bondage. The children of Israel celebrate Passover. It's the most sacred of, the, of their celebrations, and it's a reminder that they were brought out of bondage into the land of freedom. And when we celebrate baptism and communion, both of those are a testimony that we have been brought out of slavery of sin in this world and have brought, been brought into the kingdom of Almighty God. 
In Romans, it, t- it makes it very clear that when we're baptized, going under represents, you know, dying to self and coming up represents being born again. I'm living for God now. And when we celebrate communion, do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember? We've been redeemed. You no longer are a captive of sin. Well, I still fall to sin. You're no longer a captive of sin. You might still deal with sin, but you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. You're not a slave any longer. You're free in Christ, free to practice righteousness. Now, in verse 13, it's, it, that probably seems like one of the strangest verses you've ever read, and yet there's a verse that has, uh, this is a verse that has such amazing, such great meaning to it. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. You shall redeem. Now, I actually like the way the King James uh, puts this verse, and it says that every firstborn ass, I think it more uh, accurately describes us. Because when we use the term ass, it's not a swear word. It means stubborn. We always say a stubborn ass. And it means some, someone who's very stubborn. And so the reality is that we need to redeem the firstborn of the donkey. Why? Well, because donkeys had great value in that day. They were beasts of burden. They carried all the household goods. A lot of times people rode on the donkeys from house, you know, from place to place. They had great value. Now, why did the donkey need to be redeemed? Well, I'll tell you why. Go to Numbers chapter 18. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 18 and go to verse 15. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. The donkey, you see, was an unclean animal. But yet, its value to man was so great that it was worth redeeming. Now, why was the donkey unclean? Now go to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14. In Deuteronomy 14 verses 6 through 8, it tells the Jewish people, the children of Israel, the kinds of animals that were clean, the kinds of animals that they could eat. Deuteronomy 14, go to verse 6. And we're going to read verses 6 through 8. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split in two parts, listen to this, and that chew the cud among these animals. So, in other words, there were two requirements for an animal to be clean, for the Jews to eat. It had to have cloven hooves, you know, the hooves cut in two, and it had to, have, and it had to chew the cud, you know, like a cow does, like a sheep does, you know, they, you know what I mean. Among the animals. Nevertheless, this is verse 7. Never, nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these. The camel, they chew the cud, but they have toes. 
The hare, same thing. And the rock herrings. Um, for they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also the swine is unclean to you because it has cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. <clears throat> so the point is, the requirements that God had for an animal to be clean were very specific. He had to have cloven hooves. The animal had to have cloven hooves and chew the cud. If you chewed the cud, no cloven hooves, unclean. Had cloven hooves, didn't chew the cud, unclean. So the point that I'm getting at is that the Lord has called us to righteousness. He has called us to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb so that we now are clean and useful in his sight. We've been redeemed. And so many people say, well, I have cloven hooves, I should be redeemed. Another one says, I chew the cut, I should be redeemed. Here's the point I'm getting at. How many people think that they're saved because they're religious? How many people think they're saved because, as an infant, they were baptized? How many people think they were saved because they had some kind of emotional experience? The fact is, you have to be born again of the Spirit. You have to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. You can't just chew the cud or have cloven hooves. You need to have both. That's an analogy. You understand the point that I'm making in order to be clean before the Lord. Now, the illustration here is so obvious because the donkey is a valuable animal. It's a beast of burden. It's useful to man. And so it was worth redeeming. And in the same way, we as donkeys are useful to the Lord. God created us for the purpose of praising and worshiping him. And he wants us to be redeemed back to himself. He doesn't want to break our necks. He doesn't want to judge us. He wants us to be redeemed back to himself. And that's why a lamb was sacrificed. Just like the lamb had to be sacrificed for the donkey or its neck would be broken, a lamb had to be sacrificed for us, the lamb of God. And why a lamb? Well, it has cloven hooves to choose the cut, but why the lamb? It's the most innocent of animals. A lamb only has teeth in the bottom. It can't even bite you. <laughs> and they're, they're skittish, but they're absolutely, you know. How many times have you ever seen a lamb fight? Hey, look at the sheep fighting. <laughs> Let's go see the sheep fight. They don't. They're the most innocent. They're so innocent that... If you take them to water to drink and the water's all stirred up, they won't drink. He leads me beside still waters. That's why that part is in the 23rd Psalm. So they're the most innocent, the most passive, dove-like of all the animals. And yet that's the animal whose blood was required to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And look at Revelation 7, if you want to turn there. That's easy. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation 7, and go to verse 13. Revelation 7, verse, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Revelation 7, starting with verse, verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. That's you and I if the rapture happens right now. And washed, and listen to this, and washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. 
And so we have to understand, as we learned in the last portion of Scripture in chapter 12 in the last service, any Gentile, anyone who wanted to celebrate the Passover and was willing to be circumcised, that portion of Scripture in chapter 12 tells us there was to be no distinction between foreigner and Jew. They were, they were supposed to be treated exactly the same. And you and I as believers, we are exactly the same in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, you know, Roman. There is, we're all the same in Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God tells us here. And so although there's no distinction, we have to realize that we do need to be circumcised. And, of course, the circumcision that we're talking about here is the cutting away of sin, not the cutting away of flesh. We're talking about circumcision of the heart. Obviously, and we mentioned this in the first service, uh, in the physical sense, only males can be circumcised. But in the spiritual sense, both men and women are circumcised of heart, the cutting away of the flesh. And that causes us to belong to him. And how are we circumcised? How is the flesh cut away? There's only one way that can happen, and that is by the scalpel of the Spirit. You can't do it. You can't live a certain way. You can't live up to certain self-expectations in order to be circumcised of heart. Only God can do it. And he comes in and he sets us it just sets us free from the bondage of sin, which leads to death. And a lot of people say, well, God doesn't know how bad I've been. He doesn't know all the things I've done. Yes, he does. He knows everything. He's not only omniscient, omnipotent, but he's omniscient. And he's omnipresent. He knows everything you've done. And he's also able to cut away that sin. You know, the person who thinks, I'm not worthy to become a Christian yet, you're never going to become a Christian because you'll never be worthy. You know, you have someone, and I'm not trying to just tell stories, but like Pastor Chuck Smith. He's the one who uh, started what we call the Calvary Chapel Movement in Costa Mesa, California. And um, the largest church he ever pastored was 50 people until he um, actually went to this church. The name of the church itself was Calvary Chapel. And it wasn't any, you know, affiliation or group. It was just called Calvary Chapel. And, and he went there, and the church just exploded. And the Calvary Chapel movement is really all through the world. And what it is, it's a, a Bible-centered group of people that believe in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and the importance of teaching it from Genesis to Revelation. But Pastor Chuck was one of those people that he grew up in a Christian home. He never once had a drink of alcohol, he never once smoked a cigarette. Smoked a cigarette. He didn't swear. He didn't go to movies. But in his book, he will tell you that in his heart, he was a chief of sinner. He was a sinner as much as anyone. So the point that I'm getting at, there's no way we can bring ourselves to a level that we're worthy to be saved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He reaches right down where we are, brings us out of the muck and the mire, and he washes us. And the wonderful thing is that even after we're saved, remember little boys and girls, remember when you were kids? Even after we're saved, we fall in the mud puddle. We play in the mud. And your mom or dad picks you up, <laughs> throws you in the bathtub to wash you up. Well, even as believers, even when we're his children, we might fall in the mud puddle. He'll still pull us up out of it and wash us clean. That's the love of God. That's the love of God to every one of us. 
Now, he also shows that um, there is a degree of punishment for the unbeliever. Some people have actually taught, well, the degree of punishment you face is according to how bad you've been. No, there's no, no distinction. Either you're his or you're not his. And if you're his, you have all the reward of the glories of heaven. If you're not his, you have eternal judgment of hell. There's no degrees. And so we have to understand that. And that's the reason we need to be so motivated to share our faith. Because a person could have done all the, mo- all the wonderful things you can imagine. But if they're not saved, they're not saved. And that's the reason, as believers, we have to be more diligent and we have to be more serious about our responsibility as evangelists. Therefore, Jesus said in Matthew, therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's our great commission. That's our command. And we need to fulfill it. Now, it says it shall be a sign on your hand and as frontals between your eyes. Some people think, what in the world does that mean? Well, the Jews today, real extreme Orthodox Jews, they actually have a leather strap they wrap around their their arm, and they have in their hand this container that has Scripture in it. And then they also have around their head, and there's, uh, I can't remember what's called, mitre or something like that. This on their forehead, and it has four compartments, and it also has scripture in it. And, uh, but what's being said here was not meant to be phylacteries, which were strapped to the arm, and the one strapped to the arm was called shil yod. Yod is the smallest um, letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and alphabet. And it, it is not a full letter. It's usually used as an accent. And oftentimes what it's used for is to make a word a verb or to describe action. So it, re, re, it means action. And, um, and, of course, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. That's action. And then um, the one on the, on the forehead... Uh, that contained four compartments, as I said, and it was called the Shil Rosh. Now, Rosh means head. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, the Jewish New Year. And the head means the beginning. And so it's also the beginning of a new creation, the beginning of a new start, the beginning of life, being able to think and do the right things. So why did he put this in this portion of Scripture? It's a reminder for you and I to watch our thoughts and what we do with our hands. That's what it's a reminder. When he says, take this law and put it on your hands and put it between your eyes. In other words, it's not supposed to be like the phylacteries I just mentioned that were just for show. It was supposed to be of the heart. Guard my heart, Lord. Help me, Lord, that I, you know, I think and do only what you would have me do. And I put my hands only to the task you would have me do. Because the reality is that we need continuous reminders because until the day we go to be with the Lord either in death or the rapture we will struggle with leaven you know how they were told for seven days remove the leaven from your house we will struggle with leaven we will struggle with sin 
But here's the thing, and the last thing I'm going to share here. Here's the thing. We will struggle with sin, but here's the thing. Struggle with sin. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people say, well, I'm not going to struggle with sin. You know, if God really wants me to be, you know, have victory in this, he'll do it. Well, God doesn't want you to have victory, but he wants you to do your part. He wants you to struggle with it. And it's one of those things that probably, you know, it's probably one of the, the greatest mysteries that, that I think about. And uh, when we come to be with the Lord, maybe we can ask him about it. But have you ever wondered why there are certain sins or certain areas of your life that, man, you just have victory over? Bam! And, and you don't fall to it again. And there's other areas of your life, it's like, you know, down, up, down, up. But you keep getting up. Righteous man, though he falls seven times, and day he rises again. So the thing is, you get back up. But why is that? Why is it that there are these areas that we have complete victory in and these areas that we struggle with? Well... It's because of our humanity. We have this flesh, this human nature. And that's the reason it requires us to continually struggle. You know, any of you who want to be in shape, we're talking about, you know, getting in shape and working out during coffee hour. It's a struggle. I've never gotten up in the morning and said, Hallelujah, I'm going to go to the gym and work out. I just can't wait to go in and sweat and work my body. I can't wait. It's like, ugh i got to go. But you know what? Why do you go? Because it makes you feel better. Because it makes you stronger. And in the same way, that's what we have to understand with sin. And with this world and this life, we need to struggle with it. Because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek the Lord with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And he will give you reward beyond what you can imagine. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name and thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and for the promises that we have of eternal life. And I pray, Lord, as we um, share this sacrament of communion together, that you would prepare our hearts to receive it, knowing that it is not by anything we have done that we have the privilege of communion, but it's by what you have done for and in us that we have this privilege. And so prepare our hearts, I ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If I could have my brothers come forward. How wonderful the scripture tells us, though our sins be as scarlet, he shall make us as white as snow. The blood of the lamb was shed that we might be set free. Therefore, brothers and sisters, take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your God. Father, we thank you for this sacrament, and we pray that you'd bless it to our souls. Help us to recognize that you are not the father of sin, but you're the one who redeems us from sin. You redeem us from all the ills of this world in our life. And now, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit and encourage us to live this day, this week, this life, for you and you alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.